Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, Liberal Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale tweets a video of Andrew Scheer during a 2005 debate on same-sex marriage in the House of Commons. It's not flattering. However, many liberals, including Mr. Goodale, voted the same way in the past. Should you sling mud when your face is dirty? We'll also talk about Canada and the G7 and the Amazon. And speaking of the Amazon, more than 165,000 fires are burning. Why is the government to blame? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale tweeted a video of Andrew Scheer during a 2005 debate about same-sex marriage in the House of Commons. This is when they were debating whether to uh, uh, make same-sex marriage legal or not way back when. Hard to believe we're having this, this discussion. 2005 uh, was the date. Here is a clip. Here's what Andrew Scheer had to say. Two members of the same sex may use their God-given free will to engage in acts, to cohabit, to own property together. They may commit themselves to monogamy. They may pledge to remain in a loving relationship for life. In that sense, they have many of the collateral features of marriage, but they do not have its inherent feature. As they cannot commit to the natural procreation of children, they cannot, therefore, be married. There you have it. Taking you back to 2005. Man, that's a moldy oldie, isn't it? Uh, It makes me feel uncomfortable just listening to it now, even however many years later. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman uh, to get her take on all of this. She is a public relations guru, Alyssa PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, how are you today? Hello, Scott. Thank you for having me on. So does this pretty much outweigh the old SNC-Lavalin scandal? Well, you know, there are so many layers to this that, you know, we really should try and take the time to peel them all. But is it does it outweigh the SNC-Lavalin scandal? Well, let's talk about it as the ultimate channel changer. And why is it that Ralph Goodale is the one who's coming out with these I thought I thought that was very strange, too, yeah. You know, this is not part of his portfolio. Yeah. Is this, you know, when you get that... Look what I just found Daryl on... Look, look what I just found on my phone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So is this when you get the text from Gerald Butts that says, oh, Ralph, you're going to be tweeting about this? And Ralph says, well, why me? And Jerry says, well, you are a longstanding member and uh, the Liberal Party, and it will come... Coming from you, it'll have some gravitas. Except for one thing, Scott. They forgot to look at all the liberals who also voted against same-sex marriage back then. And yeah. guess who was among them? Yeah. yeah. Ralph Goodale. Yeah. So if you were going to come out like this, you know, when you come out with something like this, this is really sort of a, a burning platform when you're talking about same-sex marriage, when you're talking about homophobia, um, you know, when you're talking about pro-choice. You know, these are really, really touchy, touchy narratives. And if you're going to come out with them, you're going to come out with them, fine, that, that's, your, that's apparently your strategy, but at least do your homework. Now, will Canadians dig into the story that uh, Ralph Goodell himself was among a number of uh, Liberals who also voted against same-sex marriage? Maybe. Do a lot of people tend to look at the back end of a story? Some, but the narrative that is carrying the day and the video that is going viral on Twitter and elsewhere is that 2005 video by Andrew Scheer where he very articulately um, opposes 
gay marriage, but makes a very, very strange analogy to calling the tail of a dog a leg, and therefore, I don't know, that was the strangest analogy I've ever heard. But anyways, you know, the fact that this uh, video is becoming viral is bringing up narratives that the Conservatives would rather not have at the forefront of their platform. And it's interesting because you would think, you know, this is a very early salvo before the writ is ready to drop. It, Isn't it? Is this not a little early for such for, for quite a Hail Mary? Well, when you, you know, you asked me very at the very uh, top of the show, is this uh, taking SNC-Lavalin off the front pages? And you know, in terms of earliness, yes, maybe. I mean, you know, Canadians don't like long-running campaigns. And the last time the Conservatives started campaigning uh, in the last election with Harper, he started campaigning well out before the writ dropped. And it turned out to go against uh, the Conservatives because people were just tired of hearing from him. And also it fe- it sort of fed into that whole narrative of, you know, it's time for change, which, you know, helped Trudeau get into power. So having the Liberals come out a little bit earlier with such a um, contentious platform can only feed into the possibility that they're looking to change the channel on the SNC-Lavalin. And what is the one thing that could really, you know, take off in Canadians' minds, you know, Canadians who do support uh, gay marriage and it's exactly this. So from strategically, you think, okay, well, that's pretty smart because, yeah, you are changing the channel. But then, B, you didn't really do your homework, and the messenger himself voted against gay marriage. How can you possibly do that? Does this have Jerry Butts? Does this have Jerry Butts written all over it? And if so, it's a pretty, it's a pretty bad display of of, of your of your uh, public relations skills. I mean, uh, even Shears or Shears uh, Shear supporters said when this vote took place a decade and a half ago, Mr. Shear voted the way several liberals did, including some who are currently sitting in the Liberal caucus. And are running for re-election. Uh, Mr. Shear supports same-sex marriage as defined in law, and as Prime Minister will, of course, uphold it. Like, doesn't all Shear camp have to do is come out and say, well, you voted the same way? Well, that's exactly what they are doing, and we'll see how it continues to play out on, on the mainstream media. Well, I, well, first of all, in my eyes, that cancels it out. Because you can't, you can't, you know, throw mud and then accuse the other guy of doing it. So to me, one well, of those can't, wait a sec, to me, one of those cancels out the other. So then at what point does everybody stand back and go, well, why would you even say that if you did the same thing? Well, we are all saying that, number one. But number two, how many people is it going to reach that it's actually canceling out? So, you know, unless you subscribe or you follow the conservative uh, Twitter feed, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Can you really not? Can you really hear one message and not the other here, Alyssa? I mean, even, people, even yes, if not. even if you're in the even if you're a staunch supporter of any one camp, can you not hear the, the like? It's a it's a pretty plain rebuttal. It's like holding up a most wanted sign of a liberal, and then hey, well look, here's a most wanted sign of a of a conservative. I mean, it just if you're looking at one, if you're looking at the left eye, you got to be looking at the right eye. It's in front well, of you. You would hope. You yeah, would yeah. Hope maybe I'm getting. I'm being naive here. I'm sure. Well, it's not that you're being naive. I think that there's a bit of a a realism here that we think that, well, people will look at both sides of the issue before they make a they they make a decision. Well, they might do that. But well, especially when it's so obvious. That's my point, I guess. Well, it's not necessarily obvious to everybody. You know, when you put something like this out, when you put a narrative like this out, Scott, into the mainstream media, it, it carries. Okay, so the initial narrative carries. So your rebuttal 
is not necessarily going to be heard by all the same people who heard the initial narrative. And that's what you're banking on. And then you're banking on the, the news wheel to keep turning, turning, turning. So, you know, let this land where it, where, where it may. Let this be top of news. Let this, you know, take over the news cycle for the next 24 to 48 hours. And you would hope that there's balanced reporting when it comes to it. But if you are not taking advantage of that balanced reporting, if you're just looking at the sidebar of your Facebook news feed, if you're just looking at the headlines that come up from Google News yeah. on your phone, then maybe you're not getting the whole story. So when you put something out as contentious as this and then you forget to do your homework, you hope that your initial narrative carried. So do you think that they're not doing their homework? Because I still have a hard time with that. Or do they just think that they're pretty stupid? Or do they just think the electorate, the electorate is stupid um, or just that desperate maybe? Well, A, they're not doing their homework. That I think we've established that. B, there's plenty of other people who have carried this message, who could carry this message for the liberals if they wanted to. Choosing Ralph Goodell may have seemed like, seemed like a good idea at the time, but because nobody did the background checking, uh, you know, he carried the message, then all of a sudden there was like this big oops. So you see that first rebuttal tweet come through. You know, you go back to um, Liberal HQ, to the little, uh, not the well, I don't know how little it is. It must be little if they're not doing any fact-checking, but, you know, the little caucus, the uh, federal election caucus cabinet. And there's like this big oops. Who didn't check? Was it you? Was it you? Was it you? And at this point, you just sort of sit back and, and hopefully let the story take off or let it take off and die. As it in, in the end, though, is this not all up to Jerry Butts? He's the guy driving the campaign bus, no? I mean, is, does he not have his hands all over this? And, well, and, and, I, and I was told he's, and I, and I thought he was brilliant. Well, you heard he was brilliant. <laughs> yes, that's what I mean. I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me. Exactly. Well, I, I think that, you know, Justin Trudeau thinks he's brilliant. There's this 30-year relationship that they're relying on. And so now you're telling us even Gerald Butts isn't very smart. Now where are we going? Well, you know, <laughs> Terry Butts has been around a long time, and he was there with uh, Dalton McGinty through several very crunchy situations. Uh, I think that we could all remember uh, eHealth was one of them. So it, it's not necessarily – and then the, I think it was the uh, – the power plants was another. So, you know, he's had his share of issues. But, you know, politics is a funny thing, Scott. As long as you're a loyal soldier, it's the one industry where you can fail up. So you may not have been a winner on every strategy. Your candidate may not have won their riding or their seat and or their seat. But it doesn't matter because you were out there to the bitter end. You knocked on doors and you stayed with it. And it's that sort of loyalty that is rewarded in politics. Mm. So you can be seen as a brilliant strategist among your own bubble, but outside that, that's where the cracks start to show in the veneer. Uh, should Andrew Shear just walk in a damn parade? Wow, I wonder if he will. Uh, I asked him that on the show. I had him on the show earlier this week. Do you want to hear his answer when I asked? Do we have that handy? Uh, this I, I asked. Uh, I specifically asked something we've talked about a lot, actually, Alyssa. And, and yeah. you know, I said, "Are you worried that the other parties are painting the narrative for you?" And then I use as an example, "You're not marching in uh, the pride parade." Here's a sample of that. Listen up. Does that mean you'll appear in a pride parade? Look, there's a lot of different ways to uh, support equality rights in in Canada. 
and uh, I myself have a motion uh, in the House of Commons to ensure that the government does more to help people who are being discriminated against because of their sexual orientation. Uh, that's the way that, that that's one of the ways I'm I'm choosing to show my support. We've got lots of members of our caucus who do march. Uh, it's I'm proud to live in a country where people have that right to express themselves and to, uh, to, to where we have that freedom of speech. I will work tirelessly to protect those rights, those equality rights for all Canadians. Uh, what are your thoughts? Even Doug Ford marched in a parade. He just wanted to be in one where the police were involved. Well, that is a very good answer when you are media trained, to be quite honest. Uh, I, I think that he did a brilliant uh, job of blocking and bridging. So he took your answer, and the first thing that he said was, he took your question, and the first thing that he said was, well, there's lots of ways to support uh, this community of which we do, and here are all the ways. So he blocked, and then he bridged to what the answer was that he would give, which basically did not say that he was going to march in the parade. So, you know, I think that we can infer from that that the answer is no. I think the other thing that we have to think about is what we often talk when we're talking about with U.S. politics is that is protect the base. You know, there is a base, there is a riding that continues to um, support Andrew Scheer, and quite honestly, he can't disappoint them, and he's not going to flip-flop on on that. So you can take from that that there is obviously a... uh, a protectionist stance that he has for his original platform and and for those people who essentially voted him in in the first place. And he can't veer from that because I think that he would feel that was dishonest to his beliefs. It's clear that his beliefs are his beliefs, and he is not necessarily going to change them because he's in a federal election. However, he will say what other members of the government would do, that there are other people in the government that will be more outwardly supportive of that. And that really just speaks to his moral core, like it or not. So that being said, as a leader of a province, as the leader of a country, a uh, leader of anything, shouldn't you march shoulder to shoulder with everyone? Or do you need to? Well, I think that you should march shoulder to shoulder with everyone. That's my personal belief. But that's obviously not his. And I think what people are afraid of is that, you know, he said he would never come up with a motion, um, you know, against uh, same-sex marriage or against uh, abortion. But what people are worried about is that it could be a, a private member's bill. It could be somebody else within his party that could do that. And that's what people are worried about. I need to tell you, that's what I worry about with a conservative government, quite honestly. Uh, My right as a woman and who gets to decide upon that. And we get plenty of news about that and plenty of narratives of where this could potentially go from south of the border. So you can't control the news that comes up from south of the border when you're talking about women's rights. But you can use that as a basis for your thought process when you are deciding on the party that is going to protect them or not. Uh, we are talking with Alyssa Freeman, Alyssa PR. Uh, when we return after the news at 1230, does, uh, does the prime minister, does his personal beliefs matter as long as he upholds everyone else's and the rule of law? 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're going to talk to uh, our next guest in in regard to uh, Mike Pompeo's visit to uh, Ottawa prior to the G7 and what's going on there. Uh, but as well, uh, certainly we'll chat about uh, the video that has uh, has been released. Uh, Ralph Goodell tweeted a video of Andrew Scheer during a 2005 debate about sex, same, uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, Andrew Scheer uh, laying out his points why he did not agree uh, with same-sex marriage, why it should not become law back in 2005. Of course, we know uh, that it eventually did become legal and uh, has been for many years now. Uh, let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies. Uh, he is with us now. Tim, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Scott, and you're welcome, and you know what? I told Will this. Bill had me on earlier. We got to talk about something more important first than global affairs and Canadian politics. And of course, that's the big rugby game you guys are hosting in Hamilton tomorrow. I heard you on with Bill. Go ahead, give it a plug. Uh, thank you, sir. 3 p.m., Tim Hortons Field, Canada versus Leinster. They're the European champions. We want to get as many people from Hamilton out. It's our last game in Ontario before our team heads to the Rugby World Cup. Come down, say hello. I'll be there. I'm coming back to Hamilton tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Show us some great Hamilton love for rugby. 3 p.m. And you get your tickets at Ticketmaster. How's that, Scott? Do you think I can read commercials now on your station or what? Ziggy, zaggy, ziggy, zaggy. I mean, go for it. Come on. I remember my high school days hosting the Welsh kids. My, we got into the Legion underage. It was fabulous. Scott, you shouldn't be saying <laughs> such things. No, we, we have proper policies. Of course we do. Today. All it, right. It now is now the you great. Want to talk Pompeo, do you? All right. Okay. I was willing to talk rock, rugby even longer, but then oh. that would have just gotten ugly because you would have found out something you probably didn't want to know. About. <laughs> All right. You so, buy a ticket and that'll make up for there it. There you go. Anyway, all right. What do you got for me? So uh, before we get started into the G7 stuff and what have you, your thoughts on the release of the video. Uh, Andrew Shear tweeted the video of, uh, 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 sorry, uh, Ralph Goodell tweeted the video of Andrew Shear debating uh, same-sex marriage laws when that all went back, uh, down back in 2005 uh, and, of course, voted against it. Your thoughts on that video surfacing now? Uh, I understand uh, some liberals voted the same way. Uh, also, Goodell at one point, but not necessarily, I haven't got clarity on that. I understand it's back in the 90s he voted against same-sex marriage. That being said, your thoughts on all this? Yeah, well, it, just on the vote, I think they're referring to the 2005 vote yeah. uh, that the, when the Martin government introduced the legislation. Yes, uh, but we're, but apparently uh, uh, Ralph Goodale also voted yeah, in favor to of... That, yeah. uh, to, but I'm not sure if it was in 2005 or if it was in the, the late 90s. Anyway, yeah, I think go ahead. he was before, but at that point in time, 32 liberals in the 2005 voted against the government. It was a free vote. But, but to the specific question on the... Uh, on the video, well, I, I think a few things on it. I mean, I've seen the prime minister already come out and try and make the election about his values versus what he perceives Andrew Shear's values to be. If the prime minister were given the frame, he would describe himself as progressive and uh, Andrew Shear is regressive. And that, that, that that's part of what is happening here. Also, it didn't hurt the liberals to push this out yesterday, given the day before, Scott, they were dealing with the ethics committee hearing they'd had a week of press around uh, the prime minister's violation of the conflict of interest act for a second time 
Uh, I suspect we'll see more of this in the election. And as you alluded to, when Mr. Goodale put this out yesterday, um, there was a lot of liberal partisans cheerleading this and saying to conservatives, how could you support this man? Equally, there were a number of people saying, well, you know, views change over 15 years. And Mr. Shear's spokesperson, Brock Harrison, put out a tweet that day saying what Mr. Shear uh, has said consistently since he's been the leader, that he would never, uh, the, the law is going to be upheld. He's not going to do anything to change that. And he, and this may have been a little bit new, he supports uh, same-sex marriage. Now, Mr. Shear hasn't said that yet himself, but that's what his spokesman said. So uh, the Liberals trying to change the channel onto one they think they can win on. The Conservatives pushing back. He's probably going to get about 60 days of this, Scott. Uh, so that being said, is this an old view? Everybody changes their views, or are they going to try to paint the picture that he still holds that view from 2005? Well, they've sort of dared him, right? One of the things Mr. Shear hasn't done, and uh, he's not the only politician uh, who hasn't, he's never marched in a pride parade. And this weekend in Ottawa uh, is a significant national pride parade. The Liberals are challenging him to march uh, in that parade. They're going to keep some pressure on him uh, up through the weekend, I suspect, on this. They're going to try and say these are his current views. If he really had a different view on this, why wouldn't he march in the parade? Um, Somebody also shared on Twitter yesterday a picture of a a pride parade in in Quebec uh, last week where the conservative deputy leader was there. So now it's going to be about pride parades and how appearing or not appearing at them somehow represents the views that you hold. Mm. Uh, Trudeau, again, believes he's got you know, strong, um, a strong hand to play here. Uh, I think it's a bit like the liberals. You remember about a month ago, two months ago, they tried to, you know, get the whole abortion debate started again, that somehow conservative politicians were going to uh, rescind um, or bring in a law that prevented abortions from occurring. I, I think this may have the same effect. It'll fizzle out. Uh, uh, so do Canadians care? Do Canadians care that he's not marching in a parade? Should he just march in the parade? Well, I know that my view is he should, uh, yeah. because there are, so, listen, there are certain Canadians, uh, who rightly see the importance, uh, of pride parades and the importance of, of celebrating, um, pride weeks. And I, I think, uh, you know, and, and it should be something he should consider, uh, it shouldn't be something he dismisses. If I were in his shoes, I would do it. Yeah. Um, there perhaps are younger Canadians who uh, view it as a highly important event or pride parades as a series of highly important events that symbolize an openness, a general and complete commitment to a, a full, open and tolerant society. And that's part of the play here. It's the millennial voters. You'll remember Trudeau did very well with them mm-hmm. in 2015. He's had a bit of a slide with them uh, since because of the different challenges that he has. They're often seen as voters uh, who are keyed in on key values of um, acceptance in society. They're also voters that are tied into um, climate change action being necessary now. So there's there's some deliberate targeting by the liberals on all of this, despite some obvious hypocrisies, uh, knowing that, you know, people did have different views uh, 14, 15 years ago in all parties. What does not marching now say? Does it say that he is against this group, or does it say that he is his own personal beliefs, whether they're religious or what? 
well, some will say it says he's against them. That certainly will be the liberal frame. Uh, others will say, you know, good for you, Andrew Scheer. You're not being uh, powered into uh, doing something just because it's politically convenient to do so. Uh, certainly there will be older voters who may uh, view the world through, through a more traditional lens that will be uh, content for him to not march in the parade. So I, I think, again, it depends from where you look at it, uh, how it will be viewed. So uh, this weekend will be fascinating. I haven't seen any uh, sense or mention yet that he will march in the parade here. And again, you know, there's just the principle of um, uh, political gamesmanship here. Uh, you know, Sheer will be, uh, the Liberals will then crow if Sheer does show up in the parade. See, we got him out there. We got him to march. We are changing views and then shaping society. So there's all of that dynamic at play as well. Does this outweigh the SNC Laval and Jody Wilson Raybould scandal? No. Um, it, it's part and parcel of, of, of the theme, again, that the Prime Minister is trying to bring forward. He's progressive. If you elect the Conservatives, you know, everything we value as a society will be undone. And in just about every election uh, since um, John Crutcher and Stockwell Day in, in 2000, we've seen this dynamic play itself out between the Liberals and the Conservatives. And the Liberals get in trouble when they overreach, and the Conservatives get in trouble uh, when they get tripped up by misdeeds or past histories of uh, of candidates. And, you know, that was part of the liberal thing. I mean, interestingly, um, Mr. Scheer, when he was running for leader or had just become leader in 2016, was asked about this very video by Rosemary Barton, the host of CBC's The National. Um, so this is nothing new for him. But again, I think it speaks in the immediate term. The liberals want to change the channel. They want to go to an area where they think they're strong and conservatives are vulnerable. If we're getting this sort of thing now, what's it going to get like uh, closer to election time? Like, doesn't this seem like a, a last week sort of thing rather than the campaign hasn't even started yet? Yeah, sadly, they may all end up burning themselves in effigy. Uh, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's just going to get nastier, Scott. I mean, you know, this whole lo- load of um, garbage, and you and I talked about this before, that we're going to have, you know, a respectful tone. It, it's not going to be that way. The prime minister will say, oh, no, no, these are just fair, critical questions that I'm asking. I'm being respectful. Well, is he going to question, again, the members of his caucus who 14 or 15 years ago had a different view on all of this, and the Conservatives will come back at Mr. Trudeau for his perceived misdeeds. Mean works. Um, So we'll have a big, elongated episode of Mean Girls for the next 60 days. All right, let's talk about the G7. Prior to that, uh, uh, Mike Pompeo in Ottawa to uh, meet and have some preliminary discussion. Actually talked about the detainees uh, and, of course, the Huawei CFO. Here's a quick clip. It is a legal process by the United States Department of Justice designed to bring someone who we believe we have sufficient information to bring back to the United States under the agreements between the United States and Canada. Very straightforward. Very straightforward. Two different issues. Is it that straightforward, Tim? Well, I certainly got a lot of questions on it yesterday here, Scott. I think at one point there were five in a row as to whether Meng Wanzhou, the, the Huawei CFO, was a bargaining chip uh, in some great trade negotiation, and that was uh, spawned by, uh, you'll recall, a tweet that the president had put out saying, you know, he'd be willing to end this whole extradition process if China moves. So Mr. Pompeo shouldn't be surprised by all of that. Uh, look, I think there's so many moving parts in this discussion with China that it's hard to say that 
any of them can truly be separated. Um, so I, I'm a bit more skeptical about uh, Mr. Pompeo's answer than perhaps others are. He can't also come out and say, why, yes, that's true. You've yeah. got us. You've snookered us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, what about the comments that Donald Trump has made? Obviously, that has made his life a lot more difficult. <laughs> when do comments that Donald Trump make yeah. not make his life more yeah. difficult? Yeah, Or that of his staff. Yeah, or that of his staff, who you need to have some sympathy for. Um, yeah, look, uh, Mr. Trump never tends to help himself. Uh, I mean, earlier in the week, uh, of course, he was the chosen one and got himself in trouble with people of Jewish faith for saying you shouldn't vote Democrat, and, and then this one didn't help. I, I mean, I think, you know, this, this, this is the president's disposition, and Pompeo has to clean up the mess often. From a Canadian perspective, I guess what the Prime Minister and Minister Freeland were wanting to get out of that meeting meeting yesterday, among other things, uh, that we didn't hear perhaps as much about was, all right, you know, the president had said he was going to help us with the two Canadians detained in China. Are you actually working on that? I know Pompeo said, you know, there was some activity and that was a key issue. But what's really happening behind the scenes here? And also the other thing Canada wants out of this, all right, where are we on on these trade agreements? Uh, Clearly they're not going to get done before the election and they may not be done till well after the election. So, um, uh, so all of that is important. And Trudeau also wants to set himself up as he's using Rob Ford, uh, sorry, Doug Ford as a foil, Premier of Ontario. He, he wants to create some room for himself to, you know, have a little uh, argy-bargy, to use a rugby term, uh, with, uh, <laughs> with Donald Trump and his, uh, his administration. So there was some room there to do that on the, as the days go forward. Uh, China, prior to all of this, scolding Canada, Christia Freeland in particular, for comments in regard to Hong Kong. What would China's reaction be now that Pompeo is speaking up and, and supposedly we're under their wing, he has our back, talking about the two uh, detainees and the Huawei CFO. What is China's reaction now that the U.S. appears to be standing behind us? Well, they appeared to scold us. I saw I saw a um, tweet this or a video clip this morning where uh, the spokesman for the Chinese Foreign Affairs Ministry was scolding Canada about aggressive language. Um, so that seems to be their immediate response. They always sort of say to us in the nicest of diplomatic words, get the hell back in your box. You're too small to mess around. <laughs> But I think, you know, our, our problem is we got to pick a lane here and be consistent. I mean, the prime minister a couple of days before that was talking about in very restrained uh, language and very dramatic presentation about how the Chinese, you know, were uh, they, they were a tad aggravated. And this was how they they acted. I, I realize he's trying to strike a balance, but I think China has some respect for a bit more forceful uh, pros. So maybe we need to get there, too, and be consistent on it. We were right on Hong Kong. Can we be more consistent on the way we call the Chinese out? And, and, and is that the strategy to go with? So what was the purpose of Pompeii's pre-G7 visit then? Uh, well, domestically, to show Canadians that the Americans still care about us, uh, likely to get some alignment on issues uh, within the G7. Um you know, Canada still, I think, views itself as having influence, whether it does or doesn't. But Trudeau's one of the more long-serving members in there. Uh, perhaps at home it helps uh, the Americans a little bit because there's still some appreciation in some quarters for, for Trudeau. But, it, you know, uh, it's a ticking-the-box box exercise uh, 
uh, Scott, but whenever Canada is given the opportunity to have a box ticked by the U.S., we need to seize it, uh, given the importance of that trading relationship. Whether we can use it is a whole other question, and we'll uh, th- that will be borne out uh, by time, particularly as it relates to China. So, uh, what about a G7? Uh, what, what about an agenda for the G7 this time out? What, what is going to be the chatter? Is it all trade? Well, it's starting interestingly with Emmanuel Macron, the French yeah. uh, Prime Minister or President, I should say, coming out and saying, "Well, we need to talk about the fires in the Amazon rainforest right yeah. now and climate change." And certainly, Macron, Trudeau, Merkel, uh, the German Chancellor, are all a bit more aligned on that. Our Prime Minister was quick to jump on that because that has domestic value for him. But, I mean, they need to talk about, and I think this is it, China, uh, and the rise of nationalism globally. And there's a couple of uh, bigger uh, figures there who represent that. You know, Boris Johnson, the new British prime minister, and, uh, and, and Mr. Trump. I mean, the purpose of the G7 was help to coordinate world order and respect institutions. They may not even issue a communique, and that's important only in as much as they usually find something to agree on that they can uh, they can speak to. If they right. can't even do that, that's going to be troublesome. And you'll remember last year when the thing was in Charlevoix in Quebec, um, they weren't able to have a unified communique, and then the president uh, <laughs> went after Justin Trudeau and, and brought him uh, a reign of turd, Scott, mm. after the summit. So will this be, uh, once this is over, what sort of Trump tirade will we be talking about? Will this end united or divisive? Uh, that is an end. We should bet on that, you know. Um, go to Vegas and see what the That's odds right. are. It's either one or the other. Uh, well, it'll be, it'll be a, it, it's going to be a hodgepodge. I think there's going to be lines of divisions. Trump may say together, he often does this, he'll play well initially, then he'll break away and say, oh, look, they tried to coax me, but the U.S. has got to stand up for itself first. I mean, I think they need to say something on the importance of the global economy and the threat of recession, which the president doesn't think exists. Um, I don't know if they can get that, uh, to be honest with you. It will be, uh, uh, again, something to watch to see if there can be some unity of purpose found out of this meeting and how much longer these things last if they become uh, dysfunctional gatherings. Good, good point. Uh, is all this an exercise in futility if Trump has no real ambition to solve the trade crisis prior to the next election, his next election? Well, it depends how you use the meeting, right? Uh, so uh, Canada needs to do something with Boris Johnson. They need to get on the same page about trade. They are too, right? Uh, Canada did sign the CETA trade agreement. Uh, we need to forge ahead if the Brits are leaving Brex, uh, leaving the United Kingdom and following their Brexit, uh, leaving sure, Europe. Um, we need to cut a deal there. Uh, it's good to have an alignment with Germany and, and France. So it can't solely be about Trump. Uh, there are other leaders there uh, where uh, we should be building and strengthening relationships to make sure um, we are covering ourselves in the event of a more protectionist world. Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, in the hammer this weekend. Give the rugby a plug one more time. You're a good man, Scott. Canada versus Leinster, European champions from Ireland. Good lads, I like your bars. 3 p.m. at uh, uh, Tim Hortons Field tomorrow. Go to Ticketmaster if you want a ticket. Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies. Have a great weekend, Tim. You too, Scott. Take care. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, uh, lots of chatter uh, about what is happening in the Amazon rainforest. There are more than 165,000 fires burning in the Amazon rainforest. Some people believe it is because of some of the economic and environmental policies put in place by the Brazilian government, who uh, I believe are responsible for about 60% of the rainforest. Uh, here is a clip from UN spokesperson Stefan Jujarek. The international community recognizes this importance of the forest, not only uh, the Amazon, but also the forest in the Congo Basin, in Indonesia, uh, the health being of all these massive, massive forests uh, is critical for the well-being of humanity. Let's bring in Claire Bauer. She is a journalist who lives in Rio de Janeiro and is with us now. Claire, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me on. So what has caused this problem? Why are so many fires burning in the Amazon now? Okay, so what we know at this point is, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we're talking thousands of fires burning, the majority of them in the Amazon region. Um, this is dry season in Brazil, so it's not uncommon to have forest fires, but it does appear that most of them are not, in fact, wildfires, that they have been deliberately set to clear land for crops and cattle ranching. Um, Cattle ranching accounts for as much as 80% of deforestation in the Amazon region. So these are not fires necessarily caused by uh, uh, things that would be associated with climate change, although this obviously will affect climate change if it continues. Uh, These are man-made, this is a man-made problem. These fires are being set. It does appear that way. I mean, we know from climate change that the Amazon is gradually, at least parts of it, becoming more and more desiccated. So... Uh, less able to uh, resist fires. I mean, it's a very, very hot region. You know, it's typically a very humid forest, but that's becoming less so with climate change. But we are hearing from um, local media reports in in these regions that farmers are holding fire days. Uh, they're holding specific days where simultaneously, you know, they're they're starting these fires to clear land. And in a way, this shouldn't really come as a surprise. Um, deforestation of the Amazon has been on the rise for um, numerous, numerous years, but it really has spiked with the new government here in Brazil. Uh, President Bolsonaro ran on a very pro-agricultural, very pro-industrial growth platform, and he has expressed um, open disdain for conserving the rainforest. How does this compare to past years? You said that there was a normal cycle because of the dry season as well. Uh, you know, some farmers have been clearing land. We're seeing apparently quite a rise here. Um, how does this compare to past years? Well, what we're looking at this year, there's new uh, satellite data that has come out in the last couple of months. Uh, last month, we had satellite data that showed a huge spike in deforestation, an 88% rise from last year, uh, which is massive. And Bolsonaro's reaction to that was to call his own government's data a lie. And uh, then he fired the head of the space agency that had released that data. Uh, Now we have new satellite data about the fires showing a massive increase in the number of fires from previous years, Uh, more than 72,000 fires just this year. And in the last week, uh, as many as 9,500 fires. Not all of them in the Amazon region, but a majority of them are. Uh, is Brazil monitoring this in any way? Are they, are they um, monitoring who gets to do it, who doesn't do it? Are they deciding what burns and what doesn't burn? I guess, in other words, is there a plan? Is this being controlled in any way? 
Well, that's a really good question. Um, at this point, it's not very clear. Uh, previous governments had been a lot better at controlling deforestation. Uh, like I said, it, it, it has been on the rise from uh, since about 2014. Um, but really this year, it's, it seems to be getting somewhat out of control. Um, now, because of uh, there's been a huge, as, as you were mentioning, you played uh, UN, uh, the UN statement there, a huge global uh, outrage now, you know, really growing that uh, the Brazilian president seems to be starting to take this seriously. He's holding an emergency uh, meeting right now and plans to address the nation uh, later tonight to talk about his plans to combat these fires. Uh, is he promoting this deforestation? I mean, you, you said he was obviously trying to move more towards industry. Is he Is he promoting this or is he just ignoring it? Well, again, a good question. He has talked very openly about, um, you know, for example, opening indigenous reserves to mining, something that was never talked about by previous uh, presidents. Um, it was sort of taboo to talk about this. Uh, I mean, Brazil has very, very good environmental laws. Ironically, the problem is that they're not being enforced, and previous governments would spend more money to try to enforce this. But we're talking about a massive region that's very yeah. difficult to, to, to control. Um, you're talking about areas that are incredibly remote, um, and it costs a lot of money to keep all of that under control. So what we've got now is a president who talks about um, exploiting the economic potential of the Amazon, and that's seen as encouraging all these farmers, miners, and loggers to move into um, these undeveloped lands much more aggressively than they have in the past. Uh, how concerned are you, or is there chatter of corruption or organized crime or somehow involved in this? That I couldn't say at this point. Um, what, what we do know is that this government has uh, been very openly, um, let's put it this way, President Bolsonaro is no friend of uh, environmentalists. He has made it very clear that right. he, um, you know, he, when, when these fires started, his first reaction was to uh, bizarrely blame NGOs for starting the fires um, with absolutely no evidence. Yeah, it does seem that he's flip-flopping on positions here. How are citizens of Brazil viewing what's going on there? How are they viewing uh, these fires? Uh, there's, there's a lot of outrage here. Uh, certainly if you go onto Twitter, the leading hashtags at the moment are all pray for Amazonia, uh, stop the fires. Uh, it's, uh, there's there are going to be protests this weekend. Uh, there's a growing movement um, to, to do something about it, for sure. And we're even hearing now from the agricultural lobby, they're getting worried because we now have France and Ireland saying that they're going to pull out of this massive trade deal that has yet to be signed with Mercosur, which is uh, for Brazil, uh, Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay, uh, a, a massive trade deal that has they've spent two decades negotiating it, about to go through, and now you've got two countries saying, hey, we're going to pull out unless you get your act together. So uh, the agricultural lobby, ironically, is now getting very worried that their exports are going to start being boycotted around the world, and they want the president to do something. So we, it will be interesting to see what he says tonight. Uh, we all know, we, we've all heard the, the rainforest, the lungs of the planet, all, the, all of this sort of thing. Can the world tell Brazil what to do, though, especially when the world industrializes but doesn't like it when the lungs of the country do? What about that argument? How is that playing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's a really difficult thing. I mean, everyone, you know, the Amazon is, is, is 
It's huge, right? I mean, everyone. Well, you know, I mean, it's comparable to smoking. In other words, the Amazon's the lungs of the world. So anybody in Brazil, you can't smoke, but the rest of the world will. Yes. Well, you know, uh, just now you've got the G7 going on, and, and the, the leaders there, Germany and, and France, saying that they want it to be the main topic. And Bolsonaro here in Brazil, Brazil's not part of the G7. Bolsonaro was like, hey, you know, I need to be in on that conversation. And he went as far as calling them uh, colonialists. And, the group of uh, seven. <laughs> yes. So uh, are those in Brazil that say, hey, we need to uh, support our economy as well? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Are those those in Brazil that say, no, we need to make a living? Uh, we can't uh, shoulder the responsibility of the rest of the world. Uh, you know, we have to survive as well. Well, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a really difficult situation. You have this massive region that, of course, does have huge economic potential, there's a, a massive amount of land that's completely untapped, you know, fertile land that is, is just sitting there. Um, but how do, you, how do you develop a region that's that important and protected at the same time? Um, it, it's a very, very good question. It's something that, um, you know, is obviously going to be talked about now, but um, it remains to be seen what's going to happen. Should the rest of the world pay for the use of those lungs to Brazil? Well, they have been. Uh, not all countries, but Germany and Norway were donating millions of dollars. Right, and that has to, since st- uh, and that the again- Amazon fund. They just halted those funds. Yeah, and and they have halted since uh, things have have taken off the way they have. Correct. Will that will that yes. will that they, work they, to they reverse? A couple of weeks. Sorry, they halted a couple of weeks back when um, this information came in about um, a huge spike in deforestation. How bad is it there? What's it like there? Where, sorry, in Rio or in the Amazon? Uh, well, you know, we've heard that Sao Paulo is, is, has, has been, uh, you know, darkened by this. I mean, how is this affecting the rest of the country? Well, it depends if you're under the smoke plume or not. Rio has not been affected yet. Sao Paulo certainly had that day where they had a daytime blackout. Um, and that was actually smoke from the forest fires in Bolivia. It wasn't even from the Amazon. Uh, but it was almost 2,000 miles away. So, yeah, at a certain point, I think there was smoke over nearly half of Brazil. Um, How much of this do you think will be on the agenda at the G7? It certainly is uh, a news story that, that's uh, resonating around the world. What do you think the result of, of the G7 discussions will mount to? Well, I think that remains to be seen. I'm sure it will be high on the, uh, on the agenda. Um, it's it certainly uh, it, it is an international crisis. I mean, like you say, it's the Amazon. Two thirds of the Amazon sit in Brazil, so technically it belongs to Brazil, but it also belongs to the world, doesn't it? It's such an important part of the planet. So uh, the world can't just sit back and, and let it burn. Um, I think we need to find out more what's happening. It's still not very clear where all these fires are and uh, what, exactly, what exactly is happening. And certainly it's not clear what the Brazilian government plans to do at this point to stop it. Can, uh, can the Brazilian government get these fires under control now that they are burning? Well, an, uh, another good question. It's not clear. They do have firefighters out there. Um, some of the areas are too remote to get to, from what I've heard. Um, I know that Bolivia has contracted a um, super tanker you know, one of the biggest air fighting um, mm-hmm. planes that, that exist. Uh, it's not clear yet. I mean, honestly, Bolsonaro, President Bolsonaro, has yet to make a statement on the fires. He says he's going to tonight. 
Uh, how much damage uh, has been done? Uh, is where? Do, when does it get to the point where it's irreversible and and, and, and there's a massive impact? Well, in, in the Amazon forest. Yes. Yes, that that is something that um, scientists debate. I mean, they say that we're currently at about twenty percent deforestation of the Amazon, and there are some scientists, I believe, who say it reaches twenty five percent. That's the tipping point. Others say it's forty percent. Um, certainly, um, Brazil, to stay within the, the the Paris Agreement, has to cut back on deforestation by about two thirds from what it currently is. So, a massive amount of work needs to be done at this point, and it's not clear if uh, the Bolsonaro President Bolsonaro's government is is up to it. What are you expecting to hear from the president tonight? I think we're expecting to hear, first of all, what his plans are to stop the fires and what his reaction is to the uh, to the global outrage over the fires. Um, maybe expecting to hear some concern about what's happening, because so far there, there hasn't been much. Um, so in fact, all we've heard from him is him blaming NGOs for the fires and uh, his son, who is tapped to be ambassador to uh, U.S. ambassador, actually bizarrely tweeted earlier today a video uh, calling the French president an idiot. Uh, any chance that uh, the president may ask the rest of the world for help on this? Mm, I don't know. That's that's difficult. Uh, I, I, I somewhat doubt that, but um, we'll, we'll see. Is there anything the rest of the world can do at this point? Keep up the outrage, you know. Talk about it. Protest. Is this enough uh, to have those in Brazil overthrow this government? Is this enough, uh, is, or is this a divisive issue in Brazil? Are, are most people behind this government or not? It, about global warming and, and deforestation or in general? Just in general. How big an issue is this for, for those in Brazil? The, the, the fires or Bolsonaro government. Yeah. Well, how do people feel about the government? Do they feel that the gover- uh, do they feel that the fires are enough to oust the government? Well, the, the government it's uh, it's very much like the situation you have in in the states right now. It, it's very polarized. Right. Um, it, it's incredibly polarized. It was probably the most polarizing election last year's election that Brazil has ever seen. So the country is very divided and. Um, Certainly, this is just something else to add to the list, critics of the government. This is just one other thing to add to the list of things you know, we don't like about President Bolsonaro. Um, is it enough to, to, to ask him to have him impeached? I, I don't know. Um, certainly, if this causes, if he doesn't take action and this causes, for example, the, the, uh, the trade deal with the EU to not go through, um, if Brazilian exports start to be boycotted, that's huge. And that's where you'd have the agricultural lobby, which is very powerful in Brazil. They would step in and they would do something. Right. I'm, I'm sure about that. Yeah. So I, is the country divided about their thoughts on these fires? Are there some that support these fires? Well, I think there are the people that would think about it um, in a broader sense. I think it's easy to just see the fires and be, be uh, outraged by the fires um, and if you think of it in a, in, in a broader sense that 
the Amazon basin is home to 20 million people. And, and you know, we don't want to, at the same time that we don't want illegal mining, illegal logging, illegal farming, you know, these people have to make a living and we don't want to demonize all these people too, as, as long as they're doing this activity within a frame that is um, safe for the environment, you know, surely it has to continue. It's how do you find that balance? And it appears, and it appears, and it appears at this time that the rules, uh, the guidelines do not seem to be clear. The rules do not well, there seem are to be clear. Really, any guidelines at the moment? Um, there are laws, but they're not being enforced. And and certainly since President Bolsonaro took office, his government has been slowly chipping away at environmental regulations. They've cut money for the Environmental Protection Agency, so you have a lot less offices on the ground to to um, stop this illegal activity that's happening. There's been a huge spike in illegal mining, gold mining, um, that really pollutes the rivers there. And then you've got all the illegal logging and, of course, the farmers who want their, their cattle ranches which is the main cause of deforestation. I mean, Brazil is now the world's largest beef exporter. Uh, do, you, uh, do you anticipate any great solution or changes in the president's stance tonight, or do you think this is just going to be lip service and justification for what's happening? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, I don't think it will be just uh, lip service. I think he'll, face, he'll, have to, he'll have to present some kind of plan. And I think at this point, he really needs to... The thing that really talks here is is money. I mean, Brazil has been in an economic slump for years. And one of the reasons Bolsonaro was elected was the hope that he, with his pro-industrial ticket, that he would really push Brazil forward and enable Brazil to open up to the world and... and, um, so I think if if the agricultural lobby starts to feel that um, Brazilian exports are going to start being boycotted and they're going to lose billions of dollars, I think they'll, they're going to want to see something very specific from him in terms of finding some kind of middle ground that you know you can you can use some of the land there, but you you, know, you need to control it. And uh, yeah, a lot of work needs to be done for sure. Claire Bauer has been with us, journalist who lives in Rio de Janeiro. More than 165,000 fires burning in the Amazon rainforest, and some believe it is because of the economic and environmental policies put in place by the current Brazilian government. Claire, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck. Thank you, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.